On any given Sunday, my routine is normally to kind of weave my way in and out of the pews and wander in sort of an elongated figure eight through the foyer and in over through the fellowship hall and greet people and meet people. Uh, Meet a lot of members and check in on how they're doing and ask about their families. Meet a lot of guests, too. Northside has a lot of guests every week. Uh, until recently, we've been starting, have not had the family books that we passed earlier. And it's just, minus that tool, we didn't know. I mean, it's just really challenging. And one of the things that I often ask them when I meet a guest, especially for the first time, I'll say, well, well how did you find us? What brought you to us? What was it that... that How did our paths connect? Now, it used to be, well, we heard from so-and-so, we have a family member, and and those occasionally still happen. But more often than not, the most frequent reply I get is Google. Have you ever had to find a a church home? Have you ever had to find a, maybe you were out of town, or maybe you moved, or you're trying to find a group of believers to worship with. It's challenging. I'm to ask you, what do you look for when you search for a, a church home? My guess is you look for what, what I would call a good church. Now, how you define a good church, well, that's very subjective, isn't it? Some people come to a church looking for uh, the kids' ministries. What do you have for the kids? Uh, how, how, how can you watch my kids so I don't have to? How much playtime do they have? How much entertainment do they have? And all right, some people look for that. Some people look for a good youth group. They want to know their teenager can be taught about the Word of God and do they have mission trips and camps and fun things to do, service projects and the like. All right, that's okay. Some people want to know about a certain ministry, maybe a, a celebrate recovery or a, a, a some sort of ministry that, that really scratches them where they itch. And that's all right. I understand that. Some people are looking for an emphasis on missions. They really love that. They want to support mission work and they really believe in that. They want, they want to know what kind of mission work we have and, and how we support not just financially but in other ways our missionaries. Nothing wrong with that either. You see, there's lots of different factors when people look for and search for a good church. So my question is, what do you look for when you're looking for a good church? When you go out of town or, or maybe when you, you're new to town or, or you, something in life causes you to change and be looking for a different group to work with, most of the time people go to Google. Google has, by my count... 2.2 billion. I didn't go through and count every one, so I'm just trusting the little number at the top. Um, 2.2 billion results when you search for a good church. It's even worse now. You type in that, you know, in Google, and Google bring up a map and a list of all the churches, and the churches have ratings. And this is really weird to me. You you rate a church like you would rate a movie or a restaurant or what have you. It's a little bit dangerous, in my opinion. 
Because churches know that the higher the rating, the higher the ranking in the, in the search results. So you don't want to do anything to upset Google. You don't want to upset anyone that might leave a negative review. So it's the world that we live in, and it's very strange. What is a good church? Well, I don't want to leave it to Google, but we are going to talk about what a good church is according to God's Word. We're going to look at that. Google lists a plethora of churches. But as you look through the pages of the New Testament, for the the picture of the New Testament church, would you believe it or not, there's not 2.2 billion? There's not 2.2 million. There's not 220. There's not even two. There's one church described in the Bible. Now, now what the Bible says church and what we think of church are very different. So we got to square those up. When we look at what the Bible says about church, it talks about one church. Now, there may be church meeting in different cities, places like Corinth and Ephesus and Galatia and all sorts of places where the church was meeting. But in the first century, if you wanted to be associated with the Christians, the Christ followers, the believers, the way. There weren't just a a ton of groups meeting on every corner. Maybe you'd go into Brother So-and-So's home. Maybe there'd be a group meeting over near the synagogue. But it was one church, one body, and that's the church we're going to look at. That's the group we're going to study. Uh, It was first known as, those people were known as Christians first in a place called Antioch. Before that, the the scripture, the New Testament in the Greek calls the church the ecclesia, which is a, a fun word to say. Let's say it together. The ecclesia. The ecclesia simply means the called out, which I love. And so, when we think of church, one of the first things we've got to get away from is thinking about a building. And you look at all those churches on Google, and you click, and you click, and you click, and you click, and nine times out of ten, you click on a church's website, and the first thing you see is a building. Even ours. Now, I understand, I get it, we want people to recognize the building and all of that, but we've so internalized associating a building with a church that we've moved away from what the first century Christians thought about when they thought of ecclesia. On the first day of the week when they met together with ecclesia, they weren't gathering in a building. Nothing wrong with buildings, don't misunderstand, okay? I think they're a useful tool, but I'm just saying we have to think about church as something greater than a building, because it is. It's a group of people. So let's go back to the very beginning of when we see the first picture of ecclesia. It's found in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is where we see the birth, the beginning of ecclesia. Now, up until this point, Jesus had been talking about the kingdom. All through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the king is talking about his kingdom. Again and again, he mentions this idea of kingdom. And the disciples were confused, and and people today are confused. They thought Jesus meant an earthly kingdom. 
They thought he was going to establish an earthly kingdom and be a military ruler and be an earthly king. And Jesus had something far greater in mind. In fact, he told the apostles, there are some of you standing here who will not see death before the kingdom of God comes. And this is where we see the kingdom of God appear. Now, don't misunderstand. Some, Some people even today think the kingdom is an earthly type of kingdom. That they believe in, in some, some, some premillennial teaching where Jesus is going to come back and he's going to reign for thousands of years on earth in a literal kingdom. And to believe that is to misunderstand the scriptures. I'm not going to go off too far on that rabbit hole. But just to tell you that people misunderstand church. So we're in Acts chapter 2, page 1168. If you're in a pew Bible, if you don't have a Bible of your own, I'd encourage you to grab one. Verse 36 tells us the end of Peter's very first sermon. He's he's convicting them. He's saying, you guys are guilty of killing the Son of God. You have crucified. God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Very convicting sermon. Some of you think, I step on your toes. Peter stomped all over their toes and their hearts that morning. And we know he did because of what verse 37 says. Now, they, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? See, that's when you know a preacher's preached a good sermon. Because they weren't... See, there's the difference between hearing a sermon in your head and responding to a sermon in your heart. When you hear it in your head, you say, oh, that's interesting. I learned some things. I wrote some things down. I filled out an, uh, an outline. I, I, I learned something. I got some more information. I, I gathered more. I grew in wisdom. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You've got to do that sometimes. But there are some sermons that cut you to the heart. And how do we know they really cut you to the heart? We're not just talking about emoting Okay, that wasn't what they were doing. When you're cut to the heart, someone is moved to act. They they change their behavior. These people hearing the sermon of Peter were cut to the heart, and we know this because of their question. What shall we do? You want to know if someone's moved in their heart, you pay attention to what their actions are. Are, are doing, that's when you know when somebody's been changed. And Peter tells them what to do, verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We look at what he did say. I want to know what he didn't say. He didn't say, Now, I would like you to bow your head and close your eyes and pray this prayer with me. That's not what he said to do. He could say, now I'd like you to invite Jesus into your heart. That's not what he said to do. All right. So they respond. Verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And some people talk about, well, how do I join your church? And I understand what they mean, but from a biblical perspective, you don't join the church. You're added to the church when you're baptized into Christ. 
You become a part of the body by submitting to the head. Okay? So when a person is baptized into Christ, they're added to the church. Looking over here at my friend Macy Dunham. Macy Dunham baptized several weeks ago, and she was added to the church. The spiritual body of believers, the ecclesia. Now, on on Pentecost, the Scripture says that over 3,000 of them responded that day, and they were added to the church. So, this is why we think of the church not as building, but rather as a people. And this church, where we're, this series, where we're going to remind us of that the blessing is so much bigger than the building. We often fail to truly consider what a blessing the church is. And I'll tell you, a little bit of this sermon comes from a personal place. So, close my Bible and, and open a little bit of my story. The church has drastically changed my eternal trajectory. I wouldn't be who I am today were it not for the church. I remember in the early days after I had been added to the church and I started going to the youth group and I would sit in class and and I remember having a little bit of spiritual jealousy uh, teenagers uh, my age, they knew the Bible. They knew the stories. They had been to countless numbers of VBSs and camps. And I'm still over here 12 years old trying to figure out where the book of Genesis is, you know. And I was, I was a little bit envious that their parents made church a part of their regular rhythm and routine. And if your parents knock on the door, wake you up, come on, we're going to church, you may not be as appreciative of that blessing. My own children have known Jesus Uh, Since before they were born, known about Jesus. They've been hearing about Jesus. The very first time Tyler moved in his mother's womb, when she felt baby Tyler move, was right here on a Wednesday night. And I was doing the Devo that night, and she came up and she said, I felt him move, I felt him move. You see, my experience and my children's experience is very different. And here's the, they're, they're neither good or bad, they're just different. For those of you who grew up in the church, here's the danger. You take it for granted. You appreciate it less than you should. You, you figure, well, we can go any Sunday, doesn't matter if we miss one. Well, they won't miss us today. We'll just take some communion and sneak on out the back. And I tell you, from the bottom of my heart, that you miss the blessing of the body. 
and what God intended it to be. And so as we talk about good church, I want you to understand that the church in all her glory is a blessing. Not something that we just attend and go through the motions. In fact, I asked Brent if if he could take the worship order off of the handout this morning. And so some of you opened it and thinking, oh my, what's, where's the decently in an order here? You know why? I know I, there's nothing wrong with the order per se. I just, want, I just want us to focus in this series on the blessing that is the body of Christ. When Jesus said, I will build my kingdom and the gates of hell will not overcome it. He was talking about you and I. We have the privilege to be a part of such a beautiful body. And so when the Bible refers to the church, it refers to the church more than just ecclesia. It refers to her in so many ways. The church is the eternal kingdom prophesied about in Daniel chapter 2. And there was this huge statue and different types of metals and and they represented different types of kingdoms. And all of a sudden this giant rock smashed that and it was this massive mountainous rock that just grew and filled the whole earth. A very different kind of kingdom. That's what you and I are a part of. When you and I are part of the church, we're a part of the spiritual kingdom. Not the earthly kingdom, the spiritual kingdom that Jesus said would start at Jerusalem and would spread throughout all the ends of the earth, from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. You and I are a part of the body of Christ, where Paul said, there are many different parts, but there is one body. And there is one head of that body. And who's the head of the body of the church? No, it's not the Pope. No, it's not the pastor or the preacher. No, the head of the body is Christ. We are a part of that body, that spiritual kingdom, that eternal kingdom. We are what the, Paul would write to the church at Ephesus the bride of Christ. I think Brendan and Kara are the next couple coming up in a wedding, getting married in October, right? And there's going to be that moment. There's going to be that moment where all the planning, where all the preparations, all the invitations, all the RSVPs, all of the, the stuff that's come into that moment, and it's all going to come down to this. That moment. When the doors at the back open, and Kara appears. And everyone in the room is looking, just be ready for this, is looking at you and adoring you and thinking, wow, she looks so beautiful. And chief among those will be a young man standing at the front of that venue. And while everyone else is looking at 
Kara, Kara will be looking at him. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. And that in the dark world, while everyone else is standing and looking at the light and the beauty of the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ is looking at him. So let me tell you that if you're a part of the church, if you've been added to the church, may you not see that as a burden, a hardship, a have-to, an obligation, but rather as a blessing, as a privilege, and as a wonderful opportunity. Acts chapter 2, 41 through 47. This is kind of the first picture of that beautiful bride called the ecclesia, the church. Wow, powerful. Thank you for that, that intro music. I appreciate that. Not have timed that any. For all the elders, that was not my doing. Okay? Talk to somebody over there on the south side. Okay. Whew. Acts chapter 2. Now, 41 through 47 gives us a picture as we're all looking toward the bride. This is going to be kind of our picture of the church. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And this is kind of our theme verse, Acts 2.42. This is page 1168. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Okay, so we see these five different elements that they were uniquely called out and devoted to, things that they did together. So the very first thing that we see is they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine. And this is my, our first point, is the good church is devoted to God's word. Now the scripture says they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. Doctrine is a big fancy theological word for teaching. It's what the rabbis would have called a yoke. If you followed a rabbi, you were under his yoke, under his teaching. You followed that rabbi, you knew what his disciples believed. Well, a good New New Testament church is devoted to the teachings, not of a man, but of the Messiah and his apostles. And so you maybe heard me use the phrase New Testament church That's because we are bound by and guided by the New Testament, the teachings of Jesus and his apostles. Whoa, whoa, you don't believe the Old Testament? No, that's not what I said. I said we are guided by, bound by, and under the New Covenant, the teachings of Jesus and his apostles. Now, the book of Romans tells us that what was written in the past... Old Testament, was written to teach us. So we spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. But the the covenant that we're bound under is the New Testament. It's our source for everything that we do and teach. We need to be careful as we're devoted to the Apostles' Doctrine because there are a lot of churches that say they are devoted to that, but then they pull out the creed book. And they pull out the teachings of other human beings. 
That's different. We are not to be guided by the New Testament church is devoted to the teachings of Jesus and the apostles and not by any other human being that came afterward. I just want to be a Christian. I don't want to be named after some other person. I just want to be a Christian and follow Christ. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. The end of Matthew, page 1072. As a part of the Great Commission, which we studied in our series earlier this summer, note this. Verse 20, very last verse of Matthew. Page 1072, Matthew 28, 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's why the church is devoted to the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. Because that's what Jesus' command was. His, his, his uh, command and charge to the apostles was to teach the disciples, the future disciples, to observe all that the, he had commanded them. All right, so a good church is devoted to the apostles' teaching of the apostles and Jesus. The short way to say that is devoted to God's word. Why does this matter? Very quickly, number one, his word is powerful. Just for a second here, I'm going to start a verse and you finish it for me, okay? Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 says, and God said, let there be, and there was. Now, this verse is well known, but it's profound, okay? What it says is there was darkness in the world, but God spoke and uh, dramatically transformed the nature of all creation. This is interesting because, let me just try this. Mark, could you please say Genesis 1-3, please? And God said, let there be. Right. Now, see, when Mark spoke, as moving as it was, <laughs> there was no light. Let's try it again, just a little bit louder. Say, let there be light. <laughs> really emphasize, emphasize there. Let there be light. Okay, the light was already there, Yakely. Okay. <laughs> so the point is that Mark's words have no power. Now, not to pick on Mark. Let there be light. My words have no power. No one's words have that power to dramatically change the nature of all things. Now, you and I just read over that and we think, I know that story. But listen, there's a lesson for us about the power of God's word. It's so powerful. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, if you're following along, and this would be a sermon where you'd want to follow along since we're talking about the word, 1,000... 281 is the page number in the Pew Bible. The writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So God's word is powerful. Number two. God's word is perfect. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 
Apostle Paul writing to the young Timothy, his protege in the faith. He says, all Scripture, this is page 1,275, all Scripture is breathed out by God as profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's Word is tried, it's true, it's trustable, 100%. It's inerrant, it's infallible. There is no other word like God's word. That's why we don't use anything else. Because it and it alone is perfect. Uh, I write a bulletin article every five or six weeks. I have to give you 500 words of wisdom. I used to have to write one every week. And so did Steve and so did Mark. And amongst the three of us, and now there's, we've got more authors, everybody on staff takes a turn. I would imagine if you took all of those words and lumped them all together, that there would be almost zero harmony, almost zero unity. They wouldn't all perfectly agree together. But you're looking at God's words, you're getting something that was written over thousands of years by over 40 different authors, and they all point to the same thing. There's universal harmony in the message. It is perfect. It's tried and true, and it's always found to be true. So don't let men direct your doctrine. You don't need a good word from a a man. You need God's word. It's got all the words that you need. So pay attention to what God's word said. A group of prisoners were, as you might guess, in prison, and they wanted to change their life, and so they wanted to become a Christian. But they didn't know how to do that. And so what happened was They formed a group dedicated to discerning exactly what they needed to do to be saved. And they invited people to come in. There are lots of prison ministries, and they invited lots of preachers and pastors. And they were given lots of theology. And they were handed several pamphlets. And they were given lots of papers and tracts to look at and to read. And as they looked at those things, they said, "Eh, it just doesn't quite... Square up with what we read in here. And then they met a lady by the name of Joanne North. Joanne North was in, uh, who's now gone on to heaven, but she at that time was a wife of an elder. She had been convicted by God to go study the Bible with the prisoners. And Joanne that day opened her Bible. And she didn't give him any Joanne she gave, them, she gave them all of Jesus. She pointed to his words. Here's what he said to do. Mark 16, verse 16. She pointed them there. She said, you read it. They read it. Aha, they like that. And she opened beginning with the scriptures and taught them everything that Jesus had taught and commanded. And everything that the, the apostles had taught and commanded. And they responded in the same way. See, it wasn't about Joanne. She wouldn't want me talking about this anyway. Just to say that the power's not in the messenger, the power's in the message. And how did they learn? How did they know? How did they come to the truth? Through the Word. And how did they do that? They simply opened their Bibles. We need to realize that God's Word has everything we need for life and godliness. 
Another reason. God's word is not only powerful and perfect, but it is permanent. We, we live in the age of I feel like. I feel like. Can you say with me, I feel like? I want you to pay attention to every time you hear that phrase this week. It is a danger and it has crept into our society. I hear Christians use it. I hope it's the last time you say it was in here. I understand why people use it because they're trying to say, this is what I feel. This is what I, what's here. But you need to understand something. My feelings are deceptive. Your heart is too. Our, our hearts are wicked, the scripture says. Beyond cure. And so when we begin starting with where we feel and basing our actions on how we feel, we're instantly being set up to be misled. The problem, you see, is when you trust your feelings, you're trusting the shifting sand. And the sand is always moving. How do you feel? Well, it depends on what the media told you today. It depends on what social media told you today. It might just depend on whether you have lunch yet or not today. Your feelings shift all the time. My whole mood changes going through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. Fear to anger to love to rejoicing. Your feelings change all the time. Do not base what you believe on what you feel. Base it on the Word of God. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, if you're following along, I hope that you are. Page 769, prophet says, The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You see, our trouble began at the very beginning of the book when God told Adam and Eve what to do. And what did Satan say to convince Eve? A simple question. Did God really say? Introducing doubt. This is why it's so important that we know what God really says. You and I need to know what God says because what everyone else says matters very little. So we got to know what God says. Here's the thing. You can find churches on Google that will teach whatever you want to hear. They will teach whatever your itching ears desire. Oh, it'll be good, it'll be fun, it'll be entertaining. You'll download the podcast or share it with your friends. But you need to ask yourself, not did it suit me, did it, did it make me feel good? The question you need to ask was, was it true? Was it based in the Word? Because on Judgment Day, Jesus said, it's my words that will judge you. My words. So you'll say, well, this pastor taught me this. I downloaded this podcast here. I saw this on YouTube. And you will be held to the eternal, unchanging standard of God. So the question is, 
Are you searching for a church that teaches God's word? Are you searching for a church that just makes you feel good? They're different. This isn't a new problem in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. The Apostle Paul said, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. It happened in year 121, and it happens in year 2021. You've got to be careful to make sure we align what Scripture says to what everyone else says, and that we make sure that we always stay true to what Scripture says. There's a, a young lady who watches us faithfully. She's not here with us today. She usually isn't. She watches from home online. Her name is... Delphine, oops, there we go. Her name is is Delphine. Delphine likes to watch live streaming from her home with her mom and grandma and her family, her little sister, and they love to watch the live stream. And uh, they watch Northside quite often, and they know my habit of having a Bible out and telling the page numbers and giving the scripture references and all that. And so a couple of weeks ago, her grandmother messaged me and said, would it be possible for Delphine to have a pew Bible? Because she loves to follow along and you do the page numbers, which is so helpful for a little child. And so could we have one of those? We'll pay you for it. I said, don't pay for it at all. I'll bring it by. Glad to do it. So I went over, took the Bible, we visited. And what was interesting to me is a conversation that we shared as we stood in the backyard. And the girls were playing. As I handed her grandmother the Bible, she said, you know, I'll be honest. I I didn't know if you would bring it. But I'm grateful that you did. We had a good conversation. And she said... I'll tell you something else. We don't only watch Northside, to which I passed out in complete shock. (laughs) She said, we watch other preachers too. She said, we were watching a a live stream from a fairly large megachurch. Young man, handsome. He told story. He entertained. But the entire time... Delphine kept asking, where is his Bible? Where is his Bible? Now, she was just looking for this because she's used to me doing that. But little Delphine asked a profound question that I want all of you to ask as you listen to other preachers. Where is his Bible? Whenever you hear anyone preaching or teaching, and I'm not just talking about all the other churches, I'm talking about here too, you should ask, where is his Bible? 
Whenever you're looking for a church or you're listening to a podcast or you're watching something on YouTube, you should say, where is his Bible? That's so important and yet easy to overlook. We should be preaching and teaching from the Bible. But I shouldn't just be preaching from it. You should be listening from your Bible. You should have your Bibles open. It's what we call the Berean spirit. Oh, I don't care if Toby says it. <laughs> what I want to know is it really say that in there. That's important. That's really important. I hope you'll trust the wisdom of Delphine and ask that very good question. And Delphine, as you're, as you're watching this morning, I want you to know that we appreciate that good question that I hope you'll always ask. Where is his Bible? Because we need to ask that question. The question, where is his Bible, is something we need to... All right, we've said the word is powerful, the word is perfect, the word is permanent. One last point, and then we'll close. His word points us to the word. The entire word of God is not about you. I know you want it to be about you, but it's not. I know sometimes we take a very self-centered, myopic view of Scripture. But the entire point of the Bible, if anything, is to to say you have sin. And your sin will cause you to go to hell except for Jesus Christ. The Word points us to the Word. This is the entire point of the Bible. John chapter 1 beginning of that gospel, John points to the well-known Genesis chapter 1. John chapter 1 and page 1137. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In John chapter 5, Jesus was talking to a group of people who knew their Bible, who knew the Scriptures, but listen to this, they missed Jesus. They said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that witness about me. And yet you refuse to come to me that they may have life. You may be an expert in the Bible. You might have the whole thing memorized. You might ace every Bible quiz ever given. But unless the Word brings you to the Word, you have missed the point of the Bible. You've missed the point of the book. So may we as a church be devoted to God's Word. And that's, that's easier said than done. God's word is powerful, and it points us to Jesus. But I want to encourage you, don't seek a church from Google. Seek a church from God. Seek a church devoted to the preaching and the teaching of God's word. And not only may we have it preached and taught, may we listen to it. See, it's more than being in the book. The book's got to be in you. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. There's 
uh, something I walk by this foyer most every Sunday. Gideon, can you bring that out for me? Because it's easy to say you're a church of God's word, but, and this is not me convicting you, This blame this all on Gideon here, but every Sunday I walk past a shelf full of Bibles and I wonder, I wonder. Will they be in the Word at all this week? Do they even know where their Bible is? Do they even care? Will they listen to Toby or whoever's preaching and say, that's it? Or will they listen to the Word and say, that's it? We need to be a people of the Word. And it's more than just opening it in here and following along. It's about putting it in our hearts yielding to it, submitting to it, and obeying it completely. This morning as we close, I want to invite you to come to the man that this book points us to, to obey all his teachings. And that means starting with believing and being baptized, being added to the church. That's what Jesus said to do. That's what Peter said to do. And so if you're ready to do that this morning, we'd love to have you respond. How we're going to do that, we're standing and sing a song. We'll have some elders at the back, and you can respond to what Jesus said to do. The question then is, will you yield to the word? It's not just knowing the word. It's about doing the word and letting it transform you. This morning, if you have a need to respond to the Word, not just the book, the Word, but the living Word that John talked about, why don't you do that now as we stand and sing?